We have been in the series on the Holy Spirit. A lot of you have said how much you've been changed by it, how much God is impacting you by it, and several of you have made comments about the questions that you've had on the Holy Spirit, and some of those we've tried to answer. And, and really, the one that shaped today's message was this question, you know, if the Holy Spirit is very powerful, and if the Holy Spirit's always present, then why don't I feel his presence? And so that's what we want to answer today, is why don't I feel the presence of the Holy Spirit all the time, if he's always present, and, and if he's always powerful. But before I answer that question, you know, uh, some of you noticed that I was gone one week. Uh, we went on a vacation, and I'll just be honest. I wanted to have a visual of what I wanted my vacation to look like. I wanted to be wrapped up in warm fleece and just sit and relax and be comfortable. And, you know, my arms are free, so I can still do things. I, I wanted to be engaged with my children, you know, still, still can do that, uh, play games, you know, read, but, but be warm and cozy. And, and we were in Southern California, and that's like 72 every day. And it was partly sunny, 72. And the next day, oh, it was only 71. And we're just surrounded by sunshine and ocean and wealth and comfort. And it's, I mean, living in Southern California is kind of like being wrapped up in a Snuggie. It's life in a Snuggie. I really thought about it. But unfortunately, like we hit obstacle after obstacle after obstacle on our trip. And so like eight hours into our trip, we're calling the prayer team to be like, this is the worst vacation ever. (laughs) And I thought about it. And what really, really, truly, like if you were in my, if you were in my kitchen, you were one of my kitchen friends, and you would ask me what my hopes were for the, for the trip, I probably wouldn't have included the Holy Spirit. I would have said, man, I want to relax, I want to be comfortable, I want my kids to have a good time. Uh, but I didn't think like, man, I want to depend on the Holy Spirit every day. I, I just didn't think that, and, and God showed up, and I'm like, oh my gosh, I have to, I have to rely on the Holy Spirit, and then, ooh, things got a lot better, and maybe you've been in a place, maybe it wasn't vacation, maybe you've just been in a place in your life where, where you haven't really, truly experienced the Holy Spirit, or you understand who God is, and you've walked with him for, for a season, maybe months, maybe, maybe years, uh, but you're in a place where you're like, you know, I'm just, I just don't have a lot of confidence that, that the Holy Spirit is with me, that the Holy Spirit's empowering me, that, that my life is changing, that my life is, is moving and being transformed. And if, if you're in that place, uh, from the understanding of journey, that's okay. From the understanding that uh, you have doubts, that maybe there's questions that you're going through, that's okay. At, at Restoration, it's not so much the distance you are from God, but what direction you're facing. Are you walking away from God or are you moving towards God? And we want to respect the journey because we're all on that. We're all moving towards, or hopefully what we're trying to do is move towards Christ. And so I just want to say that up front, but uh, what I've realized 
as I've, as I've pondered this question for several weeks now, because this was one of the first questions that came up in our series, is if the Holy Spirit's always present and very powerful, then, then why don't I always feel his presence? I, I think the answer is found in Matthew 10. So if you have a Bible or you need one, you can get one right in the back. But if you have one, I encourage you to open it. And in, in this is just some powerful powerful instruction on how we can feel, how we can experience the Spirit. Um, This Matthew guy, he's a pretty amazing writer, and, and Matthew writes in such a way as to really demonstrate that Jesus is the king that these people have been waiting for. And so he talks um, about Jesus being baptized and sent on a mission. He talks about declaring what the kingdom of God is and what living the kingdom life is like. He does that. Some people have called that the Sermon on the Mount, if you're familiar with church. If you're not, that's what he talks about. Who, what the kingdom is and what living in the kingdom's life. After he comes down off the mountain from his teaching of this kingdom, then he demonstrates what the kingdom is like through miracles and healings and driving out spirits and teaching. And all the while, his disciples are kind of with him. And then in Matthew 10, major shift. Matthew 10, he turns to his 12, his chosen disciples, and he says, your turn. And in this, I think we find what it's like to experience the Spirit, to feel his presence. Matthew 10, we'll just jump in. He starts out in 10.1 and he says, Jesus called the twelve to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and heal every kind of disease and sickness. Huge shift. Maybe months, maybe uh, a year maybe even a year and a half, uh, that the disciples have been with him. And now he calls them together and he says, I'm giving you the authority. I'm calling you. And I think if we want to feel the physical, tangible presence of the Holy Spirit, I I don't know if you felt um, when Janae and Carrie were talking, uh, but I've known them for a while and I could tell that they had felt a physical, tangible presence of God because they had stepped into this experience to follow God and, and work on this retreat. And, and we have to follow. And really to follow is a faith thing. Uh, faith means we trust. Faith means we obey. Uh, if you've ever thought about having faith in someone, like if you have faith in your doctor and your doctor tells you you need to uh, stop eating McDonald's or stop drinking or stop smoking or start exercising and you listen to that doctor and you go, okay. And then you walk away and six months later you come back to the doctor and he's like, well, how's that McDonald's thing going? Oh, I'm still eating that. Well, how's that uh, working out thing? Yeah, I haven't done that. Well, what about that drinking and smoking thing? Yeah, I'm still doing that. I don't think you have much faith in your doctor because you didn't, you didn't obey them. And, and this faith is to obey and to obey really is to follow. And so Jesus turns to his disciples and he says, I've called you and I'm giving you authority to go and do this. And we're, we're called by Jesus. Just like the disciples were called, we're called too. And this, this calling thing is, uh, I guess, interesting. It's a, it's a clarifying thing. We can choose to have 
God in our life every day. He's always present. He is available to us. But I want you to see that as, as, a, as a relationship, not picking out a flavor of ice cream. Sometimes we, we get dangerously close, close to seeing God as an object. I'm going to choose God like we, we choose a car or we choose a flavor of ice cream or, or we choose our coffee. And he is a divine being. He has personhood and he chooses to be in relationship to us and we can choose to have him in relationship, us in relationship to him, him in relationship to us. And, and that's why as we started restoration, we said, you know, this value of being Christ-centered, that has to come first. And this, this mission of being restored with God, that has to come first because this relationship truly matters. And, and it has to come before anything else. But we also see in this verse that Jesus called them, not just to himself, but gave them authority to go. In, in verses 5 and 6, it says Jesus sent out the 12. He says, go to the lost sheep of Israel. Go to these people that are kind of confused about their relationship with God. Go to these people who sort of understand who God is, but they are, they are estranged, they're removed from the community. Go to them. And while we believe that restoration is about relationship with God and being restored into that relationship with God, we can't just stay in the chair, if you will. We can't just think that it's about being with God and, and then the Holy Spirit is active and tangible and present. That's, we'll miss it. This, this mission is vitally tied to it. He wants us to join in this mission because we have to depend on him then. We draw closer to God when we're working with him. And it doesn't necessarily mean that that means that you need to start working for a church or you need to start going out and being a missionary. It means that every day of your life is spent in relationship to God and in mission for God. And so... And so the disciples had to figure that out. Now think about this. I mean, up until this point, what have they been doing? Up until this point, they watched Jesus be baptized by John the Baptist. They watched Jesus go into the wilderness and duke it out with Satan. They watched Jesus come back and and start his ministry. They watched Jesus go up and do some amazing teaching. They watched Jesus go and demonstrate the kingdom of God through healings and miracles and, and all kinds of... Um, he says, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Now, if it was me, I'd be a little freaked out about that. I'm just saying. I don't heal the sick too often. I don't raise the dead. I don't drive out demons. And when I, when I first started to understand who God was, I really thought that, um, that this was for crazy people. These, were for this, 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 these things, these were the crazy God people. Like, you could just be a normal Jesus person, and um, normal Jesus people just went, Oh, I'll pray for you. 
And they really meant it. They meant they were going to pray. And it was like, oh, God, help that person. Um, But that was kind of it. And I thought, you know, healing the sick and praying for that. Well, what if they don't get healed? And what about medicine? And and driving out demons? Like, what? There's spiritual warfare and demons exist? Come on. I mean, that's just for weird people. And and yet, I'm just being honest. (laughs) And yet, the more and more I read the scripture, the more and more I struggle to see where God said that ended. To see where God said, don't do that anymore. To see where where God said, you know, once you understand who Jesus is, you're just going to always feel his presence and uh, and everything's going to be okay. I don't see that. I see him saying, engage in the struggle. I see him saying, this kingdom life that I have brought about, that's here, that I am, that will um, have one climax with my death and resurrection and yet won't be fully understood until I return. We're in that, that time between the times where we have part of the kingdom, but yet not the full kingdom because Jesus isn't reigning and ruling and, and there's still death and there's still suffering and there's still sickness. And, and so I think that this mission is still here. He's still calling us to do these things. And I've gone, oh, that's going to be hard. I don't know if I can do that. And what if God doesn't show up? But I don't see God giving us a loophole for that. What I see is him saying, I'm giving you the authority to drive out impure spirits. And I'm giving you the authority to heal. Have you ever thought about that? Like I spent the first 10 years of walking with Jesus not understanding that at all. He gives us the authority to drive out spirits. Um, my, my friend Judy, who came and spoke last week, she has this great phrase. She's like, you know, I had to... Satan was just getting in my way, so I'm just like, get off. And I'm like, oh. I talked about that a few weeks ago. I'm like, oh, I totally wish I could do that, because I'm like, get away. Satan, get away. And she's like, oh. Like, he's a gnat. She has this understanding of who God is and his bigness and his, his sovereignty, and she has this understanding of who she is as a daughter of the king that Satan, though he's powerful and an adversary and studies us, is just that. And this comes from an intimate time with Jesus. This comes from knowing that Jesus gives us the authority in him to do what he's asking us to do. Uh, I had a friend of mine, he, he went on a mission trip uh, several years ago now to Indonesia. And Indonesia is a very spiritist spiritism-filled place and literally met a woman in a village. They went through some cities, but then they spent a lot of time in these rural islands. And he met a woman that had been sick for 18 years and literally had like a, a hemorrhage, a bleeding disease. It was like straight out of the Bible. But they met her and she'd had witch doctors come. She'd had spiritist people come. She'd had real doctors come and they couldn't figure out how to heal her. My friend is, is just, a follower of Je- just a follower of Jesus and just an electrical engineer. He had no idea what was going on. But he believed that God had sent them there to this lady and their team got around her 
and prayed for her. And as sure as I'm standing here, she was healed instantly, immediately. She hadn't walked in years by herself, and she stood up and walked. She, the, the bleeding, the sickness stopped. This still happens. And as much as I want to wrap my logical, um, mathematical, medical mind around it, I have to step back and go, God still moves in ways that we can't understand. And we say, yes, God, you are the ultimate. You are the uncreated one. And if you want to use technology, you will use technology. If you want to go and use natural things, you'll do that. But you are super natural. So if you want to work outside of that, you can. And he does. And he gives us that authority to do that. And they weren't to just go around and haphazardly heal. They were given a very specific mission and a very specific purpose. The disciples were to declare and demonstrate the good news of the kingdom. Declare and demonstrate. And that's what Jesus calls us to. He says in verse 7, he says, As you go, declare or proclaim or tell. Tell of this message that the kingdom of heaven is near. Now, not only tell that, but I want you to show how that's true. That's, that's, that's not in the text, but uh, I think it's a pretty safe interpretation based on what other parts of Scripture are saying. Tell this message and now demonstrate how it's true. He says, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you give, so freely receive. Or freely you have received, so freely give. Um, When we hear the words like heal the sick and raise the dead and and drive out the worst diseases, these these are ways, these are signs that showed that the kingdom of God was coming. The people of Jesus' time would have been overcome by these things. And they would have said, see, you know, when the Messiah comes, when the chosen one of God comes, then these things will no longer cripple us like they do. And so these were signs to show the people that this is actually happening. And so time after time after time, this happened. And then I just started thinking this week about these particular verses and and this attitude of declare and demonstrate the kingdom. And I thought back to two years ago in my basement when we started sitting around and praying. And we were praying for things like we wanted to see and follow the Spirit. And, and we, didn't, we didn't use the word a year and a half ago, but we used it last week and it really fits. We wanted to be good tubes. We wanted to be good conduits. We wanted to just be ordinary pipes that the Spirit of God would flow through. We wanted God's joy and his peace to fill us up. We wanted to be used by God to see others come to know God, to be part of something bigger than ourselves. We wanted to see God's glory. We wanted to really pray this prayer that's found in Matthew, Lord, may your kingdom come on earth. We prayed that. We prayed, Lord, may your kingdom come in Apple Valley. May your kingdom come in the South Metro. May your kingdom come in in the Minneapolis area. May your kingdom come in the United States. May your kingdom come on earth, the entire globe, as your kingdom is in heaven. 
And time after time after time, God has answered that prayer so many times in, in, in ways that I'd say are big and maybe in ways that I'd say are smaller. Um, but he's, he's just been so good to, to help me go, remember that I said I'd work in spite of you and this was going to work? It will. And I'm like, oh yeah, okay. And so, so we celebrate that. We celebrate God. We give him honor and glory for that. And I would love to say, and that's it. And then you'll feel the tangible, tangible physical presence of God. But that's not what the text says. It says we're still missing some things. And maybe, maybe as you think about your journey with God, maybe you're like, oh gosh, that just sums up my journey with God. Like I think that I'm supposed to do these things. And I get what you're saying. You're just using nice new ways to say, declare and demonstrate. That just means like, be like Jesus and act like Jesus and tell other people about Jesus. And then I'm supposed to feel the Holy Spirit. And I don't. So, oh, and then maybe I'll, I'll, you know, I'll go and this whole authority thing, sure, I might have that. Um, But I just don't feel it. I'm not there yet. So far, it sounds still kind of churchy. And you say, yeah, you're right, but that's not the end of the story. Because Jesus specifically says they have to go in community and they have to depend on the community. Go back to verse 5. I mean, and 6. I read this like 15 times and I'm like, oh yeah, there's a list of the disciples. Okay, great. And what is God trying to say here? And then I go back and I'd be like, is there something about the order? And then I go back and go, I just don't get it. And then I read over into Mark, uh, where, where this other writer of the story of Jesus tells his slant on it. And he, in this part, says that Jesus called them together, gave them authority, and sent them out two by two. And then I went, hmm, let me look at that list again. Peter and Andrew. James and John. You guys. Philip and Bartholomew, you guys. Thomas and Matthew, you guys. Go. James and Thaddeus, you go. Simon and Judas, you guys. Go. And he paired them up and he said, go together. Because individually, we don't reflect the kingdom of God. We don't best reflect the image of God by ourselves. Genesis 1 and 2 says that it wasn't good for the, for the man to be alone. It wasn't good for the, for the human being to be by themselves because they didn't reflect the image of God fully. They needed male and female. They needed to be together. So whether you're married or not, this is about being around a community because in community we reflect the image of God and the disciples needed to do that. And I wish that was it, but then he says, but now when you go, you need to depend on others too. Verse 9 says, don't take any gold, don't take any silver, don't take any copper with you in your belts, no bag for the journey, no extra shirt, no extra sandals, for the worker is worthy of his keep. So when you enter a village, search for some worthy person to stay at that house until you leave. Any of you sailors in the room, I love sailing. I don't have a boat, but someday I won't have a boat either. Um, <laughs> she wants to live on a little hobby farm, and I don't think we're going to have a lake, but my parents had a boat, and I loved to sail. Sailing is dependent on the wind. 
when I saw sailboats that had a 15-horse motor on the back, I'd be like, liar! (laughs) You know, like, you're not trusting. But how many of us do that in our relationship with God? We know we're supposed to depend on God, but then trouble will come and we'll just strap on the motor and we'll just... Six months ago, I had the most amazing ministry center picked out for our church. And God's like, are you trusting me? No, I'm not. I'm trying to just get out of my basement. And he's like, okay, relax. And then we found one and then it all worked out. I'm like, yeah, I depend on you. See, that was so much better. And he's like, "Uh uh-huh, it was. And then three people came up to me this week and they said, have you thought about this? And I'm like, no, because that would make it from manageable to, oh my gosh, God, how are you going to come up with that? And after the first person, I'm like, oh, that's great. You should go do that somewhere else. Like, be a part of our community and go find your own kitchen. (laughs) I'm just being honest. Uh, I'll have a conversation with that person later. And then the next day, somebody calls me and he says, have you thought about a kitchen? And I'm like, no, no, because that would be like twenty or $30,000 to put in a kitchen. And he's like, yeah, I think you should. Thank you. Go bother someone else. And then 30 minutes later, another one of you comes up and, and says, I think God is telling me to start this ministry around food. And I'm like, oh! And I'm like, God! And, and God said, did you read your Bible today? I told some of you this story. And I'm like, I did! Today! And did you read what you wrote? Yes! Psalm 50. I own everything. I don't need your sacrifices. I don't need your offering. Everything you see on the earth is mine. I own the cattle on a thousand hills, God says. So, do you want to depend on me? And I was like almost to this point in my sermon message preparation here, so I'm like, "Mm." but I didn't want to depend. I just wanted it to be easy. I wanted to go, okay, we'll, we'll, We'll submit the drawings to this great architect and done, boom, nice. Get on with other things. And this this isn't about me and this isn't about restoration. This is about one of the ways that God is teaching me to depend on others. And when that happens, I don't know if you've had to depend on others and they've let you down. Let's just be honest. Whether it was a sibling or whether it was our parents, or whether it was a spouse. When people let us down, we put guards up. And we go, I don't want to depend on someone else, because they might let us down. And yet, that's what God asks. Because it's when we let our guard down with God that he comes in. It's when we trust that the Spirit moves. And he says, I don't want you to depend on your stuff. The gold, the silver, the hat. And God is saying that to us too. He's saying, I want you to depend on your stuff. Because when you depend on your stuff, it's so easy to not depend on me. And so then we get upset when, when we don't feel the tangible, physical presence of the Spirit And I think God lovingly just says to us, and maybe he taps you in a different way. This this happened to be on my hand this time. He says, but but you're strapping the motor on your sailboat. 
So why would you feel my tangible, tangible physical presence if you're not really asking, if you're not really trusting? So if you're in a place where, where life is, ah, uh, then I think it's okay. The comforter, which is the name of the Holy Spirit, the comforter comes and the comforter, I think, invites us to sit in the recliner when things are bad. And, and maybe the comforter even invites us to put the snuggie on and to wrap us up. But if we're already comfortable because we're tooling along with our little engine, if we're already comfortable, then, then why would the comforter need to come? That's what I think Jesus is saying to us here. So over and over in my life, God is saying, no, 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 no. You're, you're trusting in yourself again. You're depending on your little 15-horse motor. Maybe he's saying that to you too. And finally, I would love to tell you that that's it. But I'd be lying to you, so I won't. Because we get to the end and Jesus says, you want to know how you're going to know without a shadow of a doubt, that the tangible, physical presence of Jesus, of the Spirit of God, will be on you. He says, well, then you're going to go, and you're going to do. You're going to declare and demonstrate the kingdom. And I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves. What? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, sheep among wolves. No, no, no. I thought we were the sheep. What wolves? And then you're going to go, and you're going to be on your guard, because you're going to be handed over to the local councils and the synagogues and flogged in the synagogue. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Wait, we're, a part, we're Jewish. We're a part of the synagogue. What are you talking about? I, don't, I thought the synagogue was our friend. And Jesus is like, no, no, no. Those people that you think are your friend, ah, they're going to be wolves. <laughs> And so you're going to go, on my account, you're going to be brought before the governors and kings and witness to them and the Gentiles. And even he goes on to say that brother will betray brother. Families will be divided over Jesus. And some will get it and some won't. And it will be hard and you're going to have to trust. But then, this is it. This is like the huge thing. Then, Jesus says that at that time when they arrest you, Don't worry about what you're going to say or how to say it. Because at that moment, you'll be given what to say. Because it won't be you speaking at that moment when all hope is, seems gone. At that moment, the Spirit of our Heavenly Father will be speaking through us. That's when we'll know if we have the physical, tangible presence of the Holy Spirit, if we are suffering for him and his mission. Now, I just gotta, I gotta preface some suffering because some of you in the room are suffering. Sometimes we're suffering because of our sin. We'll just be honest. Like, sometimes we're suffering because we made bad choices, Sometimes we're suffering because we did some unwise things. That's not suffering. That's called consequences. I don't mean to make light of it, but God in his love, when we do some things that that aren't wise, sometimes he allows us to go through the suffering, the consequences of that, so that we are brought into a closer relationship to him. Sometimes that's why we're suffering. Sometimes we're suffering because other people have hurt us. 
that's not suffering either. That's called oppression and abuse. And Jesus would say, get out of it. Just want to clarify that if you're suffering like that, that's not suffering for Jesus. Now, the word of God gives us promises that the Holy Spirit will protect those who can't protect themselves, and we claim that. But when we suffer for Jesus, when we suffer for his mission, when we are in a work situation where we are being asked to do something that is not full of integrity, and we stand up and we get in trouble for that, that is a suffering for Jesus. When we're in a situation at, at school where, where we, are, we are being tempted to do something that is not okay and we, we choose to take the high road and we suffer for that, that's when the Holy Spirit will be with us. This message of suffering isn't really a good way to say, hey, yeah, come to our new church. <laughs> but Why? Have you thought about why Jesus would say, we need to suffer for the mission? Maybe you've been in churches where you've heard, trust Jesus and then life will be great. Take a second offering. Um, But Jesus says, no, 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 don't you get it? Students are supposed to grow up to be like their teachers. And if people have called me crazy, guess what? They're probably going to call you crazy. And if people have said, I'm possessed by Satan, guess what? They might say you're a little bit like that too. And in those moments, don't be afraid. Jesus says, I am with you in those moments. Don't have any fear because in those moments, that's when the Holy Spirit will show up the biggest and the loudest. That's when we'll feel him. As you think about where your life is at right now, As you think about how you might sense God working in you. Wherever you're at, whatever you do, like God in his Holy Spirit wants to be in you, embody you, and work through you so that he might be glorified, so that others might come to, come to know him. Where is this idea of suffering? For you, Where is this idea of comfort? And, and where is this idea of being comfortable? And God says that he will comfort us when we need to be comforted. And if you're in a place where you need that comfort because life is, is a bunch of suffering, then we'll be praying right over here after. And, and we invite you to come because he promises to comfort. He is the comforter. But, but if, and I was guilty of it when I left for vacation, but if we want to say, oh man, I just really want to spend all my time in the recliner. I don't see in his word where he promises his spirit to that. So what does that look like for us, many of us who live in suburbia? Not all of us, but many of us. What does that look like for us is that about taking risks for the Spirit? Is that about giving beyond what would seem manageable towards our money to causes that will change the world? Is that uh, about giving our time 
to the kingdom of God? Is that about giving our emotions to somebody else, even though it might be risky? Is that about risking our reputation? Is that about getting rid of our selfish desires? Is that about telling somebody else the story of Jesus? I think that those things get us out of this safe, suburban life. And then we feel the presence of God. Francis Chan says it this way, we are most alive when we love beyond the normal and when we actively give of ourselves because when we live like this, it is the spirit of God that moves through us and acts in us in ways that we're just not capable of. That's what I want to see. And Jesus said to his disciples, and I think he's saying it to us today, then you got to move. It's got to be your turn. So as the band comes back up, I'm just going to challenge you to take out your worship folder or another sheet of paper and to just write for a few minutes and pause and reflect and say, God, what, it, what would it look like for me to really risk for you? Not out of a gimmick, not out of a formula to sense God's spirit, but just as you reflect on your life, as you ask the spirit of God to say, what would it look like? Some of you, you're doing this. You are risking for the Spirit. You are making steps and the Spirit is showing up. So maybe it's just like, thank you God for this because I'm doing this and you're showing up in that. But some of us maybe haven't heard that. Maybe we don't feel the presence of God and so I think he's inviting us to say, what would it look like for me to risk for you? By the way, I'm sending you. I've called you. I give you the authority over all this stuff that other people seem scared by, but you don't have to. You can just flick it off because I am with you. What does it look like for you to risk today? So pause and pray, and, and maybe that surrender. Maybe that thing you risk is, is holding your life and the controls of your life. And so today it's really saying, God, I don't want to hold those controls anymore. I want to I surrender to you. I want you to lead me. I want to follow you because that's what it means to say yes to Jesus. And so if that's, if that's where you're at today, about risking today, that's a good thing. And Jesus invites you to say, I'll follow you. Take what I am. Take the junk. I ask you to clean it up and I'll go with you. That's what it means to be a Christian, um, if you want to use it that way. But maybe it's something else. Maybe it's something specific. So the band's going to play for a couple minutes, but, but we're really just going to ask that, that you think for a few minutes and ask God to open up your mind to what does it look like to risk?